This episode of Transmissions is brought to you by Prime Toys, where you can get collector-grade toys without the collector-grade prices. Use the code TRANSMISSIONS at checkout for 10% off all regularly priced Transformers-related items at primetoys.net. This includes all Hasbro, Takara, and third-party transforming toys. Please visit them via the image on our site or go to transmissionspodcast.com slash primetoys. This episode is also brought to you with the support of our listeners. If you're able to donate, please visit our support page at transmissionspodcast.com slash support. On that page, you will find links to donate via Patreon or PayPal. If you can't donate monetarily, please help us out by spreading the word about our show. Are you an exclusive cover collector, like things with limited print runs, or simply a fan of amazing artwork? Well, those hilarious guys at Transmissions Podcast have commissioned an exclusive cover of IDW Publishing's To All Are One, Number One. The comic is available online from their sponsor, primetoys.net, as well as they'll have a table at both TFCon Toronto and TFCon Chicago, where you can buy it or pick up a copy you've previously pre-ordered. For more information on how to pre-order, click the link in the show notes. Hello all sentient beings and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the Transformers! On this episode of Transmissions, we're joined by writer of such IDW books as Transformers Prime Beast Hunters, Transformers Windblade, and now the new current ongoing Transformers Till All Are One. Please welcome Marygrid Scott on this incredible episode of Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that knows for sure Swindle lives. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hello. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right. And we've got another special interview show today. We'd like to welcome a very special guest. She's the writer of the new third pillar of Transformers ongoing comic series, Till All Are One, whose first issue was just released this month, with a certain podcast-exclusive cover. She was also the writer of both previous Windblade comic miniseries and co-writer with John Barber on the Combiner Wars crossover event. She has also written for several Transformers animated TV shows, Transformers Prime, Rescue Bots, and Robots in Disguise, as well as for other animated series like Ultimate Spider-Man. She also recently published her own creator-owned comic, Toil and Trouble, a retelling of the classic Shakespeare tragedy, Macbeth, from the witch's point of view. Please welcome back to Transmissions, Margaret Scott. Hi, everyone. Hey, thanks for joining us again. No, thanks for having me, and thanks for doing the cover. It looks great. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my first question about what did you think of the of the cover we did for your book? No, it's nice. I mean, there's 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 like a metaphorical sword fight in the issue, so I didn't feel cheated, but it was it had really good action, very classic styling. Yeah, that was what was we were good. going for. Yeah, <laughs> I always love those old like throwback covers. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're the, going for. Have you seen the cover that it was an homage of from the eighties? Yes, I'm trying to remember who it was, it was on though. It was Blaster and Straxus were. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I saw someone put up, did a side by side. 
yeah, we we wanted to make sure people uh, people could see the difference. It's funny because uh, we were when we were designing the cover, we were going back and forth about whether we should make the coloring more classic '80s style or more modern style. And then some people were like, "Oh, we wish you had done the classic '80s style after we had chosen the modern style." But I think it turned out pretty good. I think the modern style is a nice transition for it, you know. Yeah. Unless they're going to go all out and do like the the offset colors and stuff. Yeah. Well, and Josh actually did the classic style for us first, and it just with the the modern characters, it just didn't really look right. So. We, we think yeah, it you, better like, like this. You kind of got to pick where characters, you know, where they live, like sort of sort of go where they have the art go where they live. Right. OK, enough about our cover, because this is really <laughs> the show supposed to be about talking to you, Margaret. So uh, let's uh, let's get into some discussion about Till All Are One. So uh, first, I wanted to ask, what would your uh, one sentence sentence pitch be for Till All Are One? Oh yeah, um, it's House of Cards. If there was one good person, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm guessing that's Windblade is the good person. <laughs> yeah, like she's our sort of good person. Although you, you know, as issue one shows, she's very much um, that becomes a very big question mark. Right. So um, my other thought is always that this, uh, if you read the Transformers Windblade series, to all our one is sort of everything coming home to roost. So. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of different conspiracies and conspiracies on top of conspiracies. Right. All kind of fumbling together. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And this issue was in particular was really fun. I was, I'm just so happy to like start off with someone dying in the middle of a wasteland. I just feel like it's a really nice <laughs> opening. Just set the tenor right. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with Talalar one focusing on the, the political and social situation on Cybertron, do you see this as uh, kind of the spiritual successor to uh, John Barber's early work on Robots in Disguise before Dark Cybertron? You know, I I don't want to make that claim, but I very much did love that part of John Barber's run and like the, the you know, the Metal Hawk, Bumblebee, Starscream conflict. And that's we're living in very much that same kind of realm. Mm-hmm. So you you could definitely say that it's there's um. You know, there's this uh, there's this quote from uh, 1984 called uh, uh, that says, uh, "We will meet again in the place where there is no darkness," okay. and it's this sort of theme with the main character where you know he has his dream that you know if we succeed in overthrowing this government, um, there you know it'll, it'll be a place where there is no darkness. It'll be this perfect happy place, and he ends up telling one of the other characters that that character turns out to be a traitor, and uh, at the end of the book the main character gets locked up in sort of in the ministry of love in like the, the prison of the main government and they have the lights on 24 seven. So it's a place where there is no darkness. And that's kind of what we wanted to do with the title till all are one is that till all are one is both what everyone in the book is trying to strive for this idea of like unity and cohesion, but it's also sort of the biggest danger in the book with the idea of like forced assimilation and oh. um, you know, dominance and empire so it's sort of what does till all are one mean to every character and how far are they willing to go to to you know sort of own that phrase ah okay so that's where my mind went (laughs) this is heavy (laughs) 
I know, I know. Well, after the Christmas issue, man, I had to redeem myself. <laughs> well, uh, so what? yeah, but we're really excited. I mean, we've got a big class. We got Ironhide and Chromia and Rat Trap and Starscream and all the council members, mm-hmm. and really feel like we can um, just have years worth of stories. I like it so already. So I'm really, really excited to to show off everyone in the book instead of just you know having to center everything around Windblade, right? Yeah, that's actually something we we were curious about. So I'll I'll uh, I'll mention that in a moment. Uh, what another thing I was curious about since uh, we we first uh, discovered your uh, your Transformers work back on uh, Transformers Prime Beast Hunters, the comic uh, that you did back in 2013. Did you take uh, any inspiration from that book? I mean, it's it's not quite the same situation, but you did have the Dinobots on Cybertron trying to grapple with uh you know with multiple uh groups of people uh trying to survive well you know i mean there are themes that every writer kind of likes to deal with and the idea of you know morally gray kind of survival versus morality kind of stories are are things that i like to deal with Mm -hmm. so you can draw parallels from that i am trying to be more hopeful than that um (laughs) because we ended on kind of a dark note (laughs) which was originally much darker um, than my husband read it. And he was like, you cannot end this, you cannot end this like this. <laughs> we had to do like a massive rewrite, but um, no, I mean, there's, I think that one of the biggest difference though, is that a lot of the themes in beast hunters was the idea of sort of the worst person for the job. Like Grimlock is the last person you would want to lead a group of people. Mm-hmm for any reason other than into this immediate battle. <laughs> and um, actually, I think the neat thing about To All or One is that everyone is, is starting to get a lot more savvy. Okay. And so you have much more cunning players, much more, you know, characters who have their own agendas and, and are actually really useful and, and trying to get those own agendas. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so like we started to like beef up Obsidian a little more, and we kind of what Salita One's at stake in all of this, and you know, um, Ironhide ended up playing like a huge part. I was really, I was actually a little surprised at how big his part got. And then, um, you know, Windblade is obviously much more savvy than she was in in Volume One. Um, so yeah, and and Starscream, honestly, Starscream's the one who's kind of he's losing it a little bit. Like he's on the <laughs> shakiest footing, so. Yeah, I mean the the one thing I, I did notice, like it, it, that ghost of Bumblebee is still following him, following him around, and I guess, I mean, that, I'm ninety percent sure that's in his head, but you know, it's still, it's uh, that's still an open question. But uh, I'm wondering how that's going to play out. Well, if you really want to know, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you almost got me. Oh. Um, no, yeah. I- <laughs> I really like the ghost of Bumblebee and we wanted to keep him a more consistent part as Starscream sort of, um, Jiminy Cricket conscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Jiminy Cricket, <laughs> which I love. Cause I, I, I love that first moment writing that where Starscream's lying and Bumblebee's like, you don't even need to be lying. Like why are you just taking this first <laughs> for no reason? <laughs> So with the political situation on Cybertron that we've seen in the first issue, we do have at least I felt like there were some some uh, strong parallels with real world events. At least I felt like there there were a couple of references to things like, you know, immigration, refugees, things like that. And then, 
abuse of police power. I mean, I, in, in our, uh, our review of the, of the issue that goes up, uh, in a few days, uh, I, I, I said the subtitle of this book would be Decepticon Lives Matter. So I was just wondering, did you, did you take, uh, some ideas from the real world, uh, in setting up the yeah, situation? Yeah, that was actually when we were, uh, when I was plotting out this book, it was at the height of the Ferguson Black Lives Matter movement and that, that entire incident. And I just thought, that there was a lot of things that were happening in there that reminded me of things that would be happening on Cybertron in the same kind of vein and that could be happening on Cybertron. And I, I thought that was a, um, a really good place to start. I, I don't think that science fiction should shy away from real world events. I, the, the whole point of science fiction is to be able to explore real world events in a different context. And um, not that we're going to get like that super political, but that seemed to be like a, a place that was a real natural extension, um, you know, cause we'd already set up the badge list. We'd already set up the Decepticons as this sort of underclass. Um, we'd set up a lot of these colonists as being very sort of conflicted or not getting the Autobot Decepticon thing. So mm-hmm. uh, it just seemed like a, a, like a natural place to start. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, good job for picking up on that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, are people going to get this or not? Like, <laughs> Charles is an engineer. <laughs> yeah. And a doctor. <laughs> and black. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't want to bring race into it. Come on, it's racist, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to bring race into the Black Lives Matter movement. No, well, well, because also one of the things that I, I had been really sad about was that um, – I mean, not, this is weird to say sad. Like I was like, oh, um, you know, I've been, I try really hard to bring a lot of representation into my books and Transformers, you can get, you know, a lot of different kinds of representation, but it's always been really difficult to get any sort of racial equivalent. Right. You know, um, and even the colonists, cause they have their own home world sort of tend to read less as like a racial equivalent than a, um, like an immigration equivalent. And so this seemed to be like one of the few times where we could, we could sort of turn a little bit of a light on, onto that and like work with that idea. Um, if not the idea that the, the Decepticons are viewed as a different race is, is the idea of, you know, people who are inherently downtrodden and systematically downtrodden because of, you know, something that, maybe at one point they could control, but at this point they can't, you know, even if they unbecame Decepticon, that brand would still follow them. Right. I mean, it's, I'd say it's a, it's not a a complete one-to-one parallel, which is fine just because, you know, we do have the Decepticons, basically the losing side of a, of a million years long war. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some bitterness with good reason on, on both sides, but the, the fact that they are seen as the, cause of the war makes them inherently the i guess the losing side so that gives them the that uh yeah that underclass component and i think too because james and and john have have made so many strides in in terms of really graying up the war you know the idea that i think i forgot if it was james or john but like one of the earlier transformers books it's like everyone committed the same amount of atrocities it's just you get to blame it on the losers you know so right um, and I, I really like that. I've never really liked the idea that, uh, you know, most people in a, in an army are are not there because they're diehard ideologists. They're there because they had to be. 
So I, I don't like the idea that all Decepticons are sort of inherently worse people or inherently bad people or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at Whirl. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess we, we do have uh, with uh, uh, in more than meets the eye. Uh, I did notice that at least in that they, they do this in the flashbacks, not so much in modern times, but the whole, uh, functionism or shapeism or, you know, what your alt mode is determines, uh, yes. who you are. So that, that might, uh, I don't know if it, if that might come back into things as well. I mean, that's more of James's thing. It's something mm-hmm. that exists in the world. So I'm not trying like men, no surgery. Like I'm not trying to shy away from it. You know, we're all a joint universe, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't bank on like a lot of functionists sort of showing up. Yeah, I mean, the, um, I, the, I definitely see that as a flashback rather than as the current uh, current status quo. I guess. Yeah, but we definitely have designs on. You know, there are a lot of the colonists bring a lot of problems of their own, so they're going to have their own ideas. It was funny; someone pointed out they're like, you know, knockout and breakdown. Like, it's weird though because knockout is like so fat shamey, and yet he's dating <laughs> breakdown, and it's like, yeah, because. He's problematic. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Talaller One is expanding its focus beyond uh, beyond just Windblade as a character, and especially in the first book. I mean, it, it seems like you made a deliberate choice to put Windblade as more of a supporting character in the first issue because we did really get a focus more on the Combaticons and Ironhide in this first issue. Yeah, um, there's a lot of focus on Combaticons and Ironhide. Um, I, I really, I did, I wanted to start off with not Windblade, um, although she's an important part of the story, um, but not having her be be right at the center of it. And I kind of fell in love with the Combaticons. Um, just the more <laughs> I wrote them, the more I really, I just like them so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a real thing for Blast Off now, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where that goes. And and yeah, you know, I don't want to reintroduce all our characters, you know, the tankors and and um Ironhide's got a you know, he's a small business owner now. Um Yeah, work, and, uh, working with the tankors. Yeah, yeah, working with the tankors and uh a couple other people. So, um that's going to go some interesting places. And uh I I really wanted Obsidian to be really prominent cuz I just think he's such a cool you always want that sort of Soundwave-esque character, you know, like the coolly logical person. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just think Obsidian is great for that. Cool. Yeah, and so, so following on with that, with uh, with Windblade Volume Volume Two, you uh, you expanded the uh, the potential for new characters with that visiting all these different colony worlds. So uh, you took the opportunity to introduce uh, characters from Beast Wars, Beast Machines, Transformers, Cybertron. Transformers Prime. So now they're all, you know, they've all got a foothold in the IDW universe. And how do you, how do you see these, all these new colony worlds and their different factions changing the status quo on, on Cybertron? Well, you're going to start to see that change um, in a lot of, I, I think they change it completely, you know, sort of in all ways, big and small. I really want that kind of melting pot feel um, where you're getting a lot of these places trying to intermix and there's a lot of problems that people don't anticipate and a lot of strengths that people don't anticipate. And, um, in kind of a way, it's like if Starscream's trying to keep a lid on, on Cybertron and keep it under his thumb, 
I wanted to introduce as many new variables to that as possible. Okay. So colonists are going to bring nothing but headaches for Starscream. <laughs> uh, and I guess one of the implications from the colonies that they, is that they came, they all had one of the 13 primes leading them. And it seems like when the colonies return, we don't see any of those, the primes who were in charge of each colony around. So I'm just wondering if they're, if you're going to revisit what happened to the, the primes that led each colony away? Did they, you know? Well, they were all connected to one of the 13. Um, they were all connected to one of the Titans that was connected to the primes. So not mm-hmm. every colony, you know, worships the primes necessarily like the Camions do. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows how much we'll, we'll get into that. Um, they have a much stronger connection with their Titans, but yeah, they all have a connection to the 13 primes and, uh, it's not something we're going to forget. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it feels so weird to say, because we got everything going on, you know, it's like Optimus is annexing Earth, and we're building this colony world, and um, there's so many things to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's not, that. that's something we definitely have in mind, and that's something that will play a, a, a bigger role uh, towards the end of the summer and into the fall, so... Stay tuned mm-hmm. on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, and it, it seems like the, so the colony inhabitants are pretty much all returning to Cybertron semi permanently. It seems like you do you plan to keep the focus on Cybertron rather than than visiting the individual colony worlds that are that are out in space? Are they all basically moving back home? I don't know that they're like abandoning their post, but the the focus of this, you know, I, I don't know that like everyone on like Eucharist is picking up and moving back to Cybertron. Um, But the focus of our book will always be on Cybertron and on the people that choose to come back to Cybertron. Okay. Um, So yeah, so it's definitely, definitely trying to view Manhattan or uh, icon as sort of like a Manhattan kind of place, you know, that Mm -hmm. like lots of people coming in, setting up their own neighborhoods, trying to integrate together kind of, kind of feel. Okay. Which now I totally have to make like a, Little Eucharis. <laughs> <laughs> Armada Town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There'll be a D Town for the divisions, and then all the houses are really short. <laughs> It'll be great. Oh, crud. By the way, uh, can we just point out how great Sarah's doing with the Combaticons and them having no faces and her getting a ton of facial expression out of people that don't have faces? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Sarah Sarah's art has has just been great. I mean, the last uh, starting with Combiner Hunters and then the the issues she did for uh, for Transformers and now for Till All Are One. Yeah, we're we're lucky to have her. Yeah, I'm so glad. Issue two's got a bunch of crowd scenes because I was like, oh, we're ahead, so I can add some crowd scenes, you know, because we've got more more time to catch up. And I I'm, I'm pretty sure I nearly broke her hand. And then issue four. <laughs> Issue four got weird, so (laughs) in a good way, but there were definitely (laughs) several points where I was like, you know, this is kind of what I'm going for. And I I just started to get the sketches in and it was like, I think this is what you wanted me to do. Yeah, no, good job. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, issue four, issue four is definitely, um, it's fun when you've worked with an artist for a little while, because I feel like. Now I can start seeing, I, I'm starting to write, to be able to write towards 
Sarah's strengths and push her. And then unfortunately, as she meets my challenges, I get weirder and harder. And <laughs> <laughs> I, then I she has see to her meet commiserating that. with Alex a lot. Yes. <laughs> I've seen I've seen some John Barber scripts. Hey, my panel count is much lower than than anything Milne has to deal with. <laughs> but that's about the only saving grace. Um, <laughs> well, you get so excited because you're like, wow, they did such a great job on that. What if we did this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure there are times where she's just like, what the shit? <laughs> So uh, you, you mentioned the Talaller one is is pretty much staying squarely on Cybertron, but there is pr- a pretty big connection to Earth with the the main Transformers book being on Earth and the interplay between what Optimus Prime is doing there. So how how much are you coordinating with uh, with John on the events taking place in in Transformers, and do you do you foresee a lot of interplay there, or do you? Do you plan to stay on pretty much parallel tracks with maybe, you know, just a couple of mentions? Our goal, my goal in this is I want it to feel like they're in a a cohesive world, but Mm -hmm. not like you have to buy one issue, one storyline to get the other storyline. Okay. You know, um, so we try and most of our conversations are sort of dictated around that, like, you know, um, trying to make sure, you know, could we have Brawl be on Cybertron at this time? Um, how are we going to like when, when Optimus, uh, you know, he's like, Optimus is going to annex earth. Like how would the council react to that? And it's like, Oh, that's a, uh, okay. We'll figure out that, you know? So it's, it's more along those lines, but we really didn't, we didn't want to feel like sort of a perpetual crossover. Um, although we do have quite a few crossovers, so hopefully they work really well. <laughs> yeah, speaking of crossovers, there there are <laughs> two big ones coming up back to back. It seems like there, we've got Titans Return and Revolution uh, coming. Yes, and I don't know how that pulled that off when, when, when <laughs> I first heard about that. They're like, "Oh, we're doing the crossover," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm working on the crossover." They're like, "No, like no, the other crossover." Oh, well, and that's coming out like oh, right after this crossover. Wait, so I'm doing two crossovers? Like. <laughs> Um, but weirdly enough, you know, I, 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 IW took me down to San Diego and sat in a meeting and got to really, you know, put my head together with some of the other people. And so I think, I think we have picked the best possible road to take, you know, I, I feel satisfied by it as a writer because I don't want, I never like that feeling when, when a crossover or an event happens where you feel like your story was going and then just stopped and now your characters all ran off and did this other thing and then just came back or just abandoned the storyline. And I also don't like feeling if I'm just when, if I'm just reading till all one, I don't want to feel like I have to read every other revolution crossover to understand what's happening in the till all are one revolution mm-hmm. issues. So that's, that's definitely my balance. We want to inspire people to be able to, to look at some of the other issues where they fit. Um, but it's not, I I don't want it to seem like suddenly you're picking up, you know, it's, it's not a wasted month or a month where you're not going to understand anything. You know um, we, we want to still have it feel natural and feel like it's, it's giving something to our storyline um, and our plot, even if it's not, uh, you know, the, even if it's also advancing another events plot as well. Okay. So I know this is so political. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you mentioned you took part in the whole uh, IDW Revolution Summit. Uh, I guess there was 
like they got they got a whole bunch of writers together to to hash this out, right? Yeah, yeah. There was like a a maybe like a a dozen of us in total. It was really neat. Uh and you know, it was like a classic sort of um like TV summit. Um, mm-hmm. like we do an animated television where you, you, you know, you all get together and this is where my book's at. This is where my book's at. Okay. What kind of crossovers do we think we could do? Well, does, you know, what is, how does this exist in your book? How does this exist in your book? I got to explain camions to everyone. Like it was nice. <laughs> um, it's fun to catch people up on Transformers. It's like, oh yeah, so Starscream runs the planet now. Starscream runs the planet. Yeah. And the war's <laughs> over. The war's over. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, with us on this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's that's I think one thing we really like about the the IDW universe is that the status quo keeps moving forward. There's no like you can't really say things are in one particular state for a long time. Things the story keeps moving forward, and uh, I think as as Transformers fans, we appreciate this. I mean the the wars managed to stay over for a long time, so you know I think we all yeah, thought I love that. I love that, like, and you still see the after effects, and it's still like, no, I don't think anyone would say like things are hunky dory on Cybertron. Nor do I think that fans want that. Right. Everyone would just be like, like, if I started Till All One, everyone's like, great, we solved that Autobot Decepticon conflict, yay, high five. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I would have gotten flooded with with angry fan mail, as I should. But um, yeah, like, yay, IDW for building a world that has has had such a consistent sort of fairly unbroken continuity for so long. Mm-hmm. Like that's not easy, but that's a ton of fun than just restarting every couple of years. Right. Yeah. So actually that, that, that brings us to to talk a little bit about revolution because this is something that, uh, that, that at least from the initial announcement made us a little bit nervous. So, um, I mean, we, I guess I, I wanted to get from, from your point of view, what are the positives and negatives of having, Basically, the current Transformers universe is being expanded uh, to become this, you know, this wider universe for all uh, for almost all the other IDW Hasbro licensed properties. Uh, so so how do you th- how do you think that's going to, to work moving forward? I mean, that I only look at it as a plus for us, especially for my book, like just just to look at it from a selfish point of view. You know, I'm on Cybertron. So unless the. G.I. Joe guys decide like, oh, we're all going to get into a space bridge and go to Cybertron. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> I can use that as much or as little as I want. And that right. affects my book as much or as little as I want. Um, but we are in space and I kind of like, you know, I liked in John's run when they would meet aliens on like Gorlam Prime and, and meet some other things. And so now we have, you know, space is a big place. So if we don't run into a lot of the other Hasbro characters, that's fine. But space is a big place. So why not run into some of the other Hasbro characters and see how, how they react? Um, and I think, I think definitely, I'm trying to figure out like how to express this without getting into details. Too many, like, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but the, the mandate at the summit very much felt like we want to tell good stories that get better by interacting with each other. Then you need to cross over with this person and you need to cross over with this person and just make it work. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of thought I felt like being put into people trying to build stories that worked well and that could work with each other, but not in the sense of, um, you know, like we actively talked about, you know, well, 
is interacting with ROM the best thing for TAO right now? Is interacting with Micronauts the best thing for TAO right now? Like, what's the most natural fit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, is interacting with anyone? Like, so that this, uh, this idea of a shared universe was not nearly as top down as like, you know, forced editorial as I think some fans fear. Um, we definitely, you know, came in and it was like, okay, we want to build a shared universe. But other than that, a lot of the bridges that were connecting it felt very, um, organic in their own ways. Okay. That's so that, that definitely is good to hear. Yeah. I walked in a little skeptical myself. I was like, Oh, but like, um, it definitely doesn't feel like the kind of thing where like Gem and the holograms is going to do like a Cybertron tour. Although now that I say that, that would kind of be awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> now I'm going to put like a Gem and the holograms, like disc on like Starscream's desk or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, we've already had a lot of things that naturally like GI Joe transformers have crossed over a number of times, you know, and it's not like, John's book doesn't already have a lot of earth military running around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and space is a big place and we've met tons of different alien races. So it's not like these, it's not like these things are as disparate as they initially look. Okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. There's no, I guess the better example would be like, it's not like a space bridge is going to lead to Equestria right now, <laughs> at least as far as I know. <laughs> I have no plans for a space bridge to lead to Equestria. I feel like that would just end up being a brutal, heartbreaking issue that no one really wants, <laughs> <laughs> despite what people say. All right. Well, that yeah, that was that was my next question: is how how much do you think this would affect uh, Talalar One and specifically? So you've, uh, I think you've made it clear that it's as 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 much or as little as as you needed to, since you are removed from Earth. That makes it a little bit easier uh, with Talalar One. Yeah, and there's definitely, and I'm definitely looking to use it as a way to enhance the stories that we're telling instead of just, you know, now we're all, now everyone on Cybertron for some reason is going to pack up and move to somewhere else and deal with their stories. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, like I said, the, I think this will all hold hands together pretty nicely. All right. Don't panic, fans. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> People will still panic. It'll be okay. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. It's the internet. <laughs> um, one thing uh, just that just popped in my head back in uh, in uh, issue one. Uh, one thing that we at least I I wasn't sure about. And I couldn't figure out at the end of the issue is um, once uh, Blastoff puts the badgeless armor on and and uh, replaces the one that he uh, you know he sneakily uh, disables or maybe kills. I'm not sure what he did there. Um, I couldn't tell which badgeless he was in that interaction yes. with uh, with Ironhide. So exactly, that, that was deliberate. <laughs> yeah, actually, in the first issue, I actually had to ask Sarah to redraw it because she had um, originally when she drew uh, when she drew it, she gave uh, Blastoff a little bit of like a scuff from that fight, so you could tell him apart from the other badgeless. But I did not want that. I, there's there's no. There sh- in my mind, there should be no way to know which Badgeless actually pulled that trigger. Okay. So, yeah, I, I from think issue one, we can, we can be sure that Blastoff was the one who uploaded the video to uh, to the Iaconian uh, news service. Yes, yeah. Which, by <laughs> the way, how happy are we that Circuit and Longtooth are back? Like, <laughs> I'm super happy about it. At least. <laughs> well, I guess that's another question we had because in the 
uh, Transformers issue this week there on Earth. So, like, where exactly does the Till All or One events happen in in the time frame? We try to play roughly in the same time frame. You know, there is travel. I, I think of there as being fairly easy travel from Cybertron to Earth for the people that need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, these issues did get a little bit delayed, so I'm hoping that I think everything still works, and we try to make everything still work, so hopefully everything still works. Um, but, yes, yeah, Circuit and Longtooth are probably the characters most likely, just by their jobs, to be in a lot of different places or be bopping back and forth between a lot of different places. Okay. Um but yeah, we, we, we try and think of ourselves as living in, in roughly the same time frame, give or take some couple weeks or a couple months, depending on how things go. But if Wolverine can be on 30 teams <laughs> in 90s Marvel, the two main reporters on Cybertron can be in a couple of places in a week. <laughs> Sounds good. I defend this. <laughs> Uh, you've had the rare opportunity to write Transformers fiction for both comics and television. Uh, do you have a preference between the two? Comics. Comics. Okay. I I think Transformers works exceptionally well in television. I love writing Transformers for television. I think they they you know I mean they're movement based characters, but I could never tell this kind of story in television. And it's so refreshing to now that I know all these characters and I can hit the ground running and I only have to report to one person, you know, mm-hmm. all, the only person I have to explain myself to is John Barber. I'm sure he has to explain me to Hasbro, but that's not my problem. That's his. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, John. Um, and the only person who has to really understand what I want is Sarah. So um, just that level of control is is completely awesome. Cool. It's, it's super fun. Well, my, my next question was, which medium gives you more control over the story as a writer? And I think you just answered that. Yes, absolutely. That's why people, that's why television writers like to write comics. Cause you just get infinitely more control. You make infinitely less money, but you get infinitely more control. <laughs> cool. So now that you're an established comic writer with, uh, with several series under your belt, uh, what lesson have you learned about writing comics that you wished you'd known when you started? You know, it's so hard to say. I guess I couldn't have known it because it's not a, it's not something you know right off the bat, the ballot or the bat. Um, but I think the thing that I really like about having TAO is that I felt like my work has become much more balanced in terms of pacing. You know, um, you don't want to feel too rushed. You don't want to feel too slow. And that's, that's something you can only really sort of get over time and over doing something over time. Um, and especially with an ongoing, it gets a lot easier. Like the the end of Windblade Volume Two, it's like we we didn't know if we were coming back. This is it for us, you know. So there feels like a lot of pressure. Like whatever you were gonna do, like put it on the wall right now, like because you may be walking out the door. Um, but Tao really felt like I don't know. You guys can tell me, but it felt like to me like it was we paced it very well. It felt like it's moving along, but you know it's still giving you time to catch up and remember where we left off and yet, you know, you don't feel like it's a wasted first issue. So yeah. Pacing. <laughs> I know that's the most unsexy thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it's definitely important. I, I think, uh, 
it's all it's always a challenge to get a single issue that tells a complete story but also makes you want the next one and uh i think that's a def a difficult balancing act and figuring that out and especially when you're dealing with you know different companies and different page lengths like when they cut the first two pages that took me forever to sort of be you wouldn't think that losing two pages would mess you up at all but messed me up for a long time um took me a long time to sort of like figure out how to pace a 20 page comic versus a 22 page comic. So I guess, although it aren't like some companies are now like down to 18 pages. So clearly I'm just screwed. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be down to like, I'll be down to a five panel strip by the time I'm like (laughs) 50. (laughs) Uh, As fans, we were, we were also quite disappointed to see IDW's page count drop, but yeah, I guess that's the the realities of the industry. I guess we need we need more people buying more comics. That's the problem. Yeah. Although I mean, you know, we're trying. Like it's it's the the single issue sales have some rough t- Sorry, this you know, this is kind of wonky. Um I know that the single issue buying in the direct market has has had some issues. Um but if you look at like graphic novel sales, it's insane the growth like the as a medium at least graphic novels are becoming just growing by leaps and bounds and becoming much more accepted reading material and that can only help us so well and they're available in many more locations as well yeah many more locations hopefully that filters back to comics um and you know cuz i'm definitely one of those people that thinks that the the more people that that know we exist and that feel like they can read comics, the better, you know. So if you're if you're getting that from online, if you're getting that from Barnes and Noble, if you're getting that from your local comic book store, fantastic. Um, as long as you're not getting it from illegal downloads, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised. I had that once. I had someone say once, "I like I love your work. I download it. Like I like I torrent it all the time." And I'm like, that's like walking into my house and saying, I love this picture and pulling it off the wall and walking out of my house. <laughs> yeah, that's, especially that's... with how easy comiXology makes it. If you want to read it digitally, you know, it's never been easier. Yeah, it really has. It's never been easier. And it's not like it's that hard. You know, my, my parents pick up my comic books and they're in their 60s and they can, you know, figure uh, it out. I think the biggest issue a lot of people have with digital is just it's the same price as the physical and people are like, you didn't have to pay for the paper or the ink or anything. And it's just at some point the price is going to need to change. But right now I, I know they have to keep it artificially inflated because of the stores. You know, That's true. You know, you don't want to necessarily kill the stores, but on the other hand, you like, you know, there's the sales are the sales on comiXology and there's like this new subscription model that people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've not super investigated because I just, I buy all my stuff anyway. So, um, but yeah, there's definitely seem to be a lot of, there are a lot of ways to get your hands on comics, especially if you are willing to wait for like not the first week. Right. Right. So, which is great. Cause I love now that I can like buy issue one, two and four of something from the store. And if they're out of three, I can get three online. Mm-hmm. Um, and transformers is a, is one of the, the comics, I think, especially like Priscilla's colors look really great, both on print and digital. Cause you, and digital, you get that nice luminous effect right? with like everyone's visors and stuff like that. And on print, you still get that and you get a slightly larger format. So I think it, I think we as a brand work especially well on either platform. There are some 
some comics that I don't think translate super well to digital or, or if they were digital, don't translate super well to print. Um, but I think we're one of the few books that kind of naturally likes to live in both. So yay, Transformers. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's shift uh, a little bit to your work on the, the animated series, the robots in disguise. Uh, now you, you were credited with writing five episodes uh, of the show uh, but I think it, at least uh, Daryl said he's watched the credits and he's seen your name in, in every episode. So were you in the basically in the writer's room for the whole time for the show? I was in I was a consultant on the first season. OK, Um, sorry. They, the way they air it and what they considered a season and the way it was produced and what was considered a season, I've heard are a little different. And that happens sometimes. Um, like how, like on Disney XD shows, like if you buy it on Amazon, like a season is like half a season. Um, and then you're like, damn it. I just bought this Amazon prime. Like this is only 13 episodes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, I was a consultant for a while and then I still freelance every now and then for them. So, um, uh, but I don't consult on that show anymore. And, and that's that's the basic idea is that when you, you all get together and you help break the stories and you don't necessarily write every episode, but you, you know, you lend your brain to to the longer ongoing arcs. Okay. So, so it's nice work. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you uh, responsible for, for getting Windblade into the series? No, not at all. I was very surprised. Uh, that they wanted Windblade in the series. Um, that was a request from Hasbro. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I know, right? Like, because, well, because originally I, I just thought it wouldn't even be possible because you can't, we couldn't have her original backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay. And um, and they were like, no, Hasbro really wants Windblade. And they're like, well, you should write it because you, you write Windblade. And I'm like, well, I got to kind of write a different Windblade. So if you notice, like she's actually a, a fairly different character too right. in, uh, yeah. in Robots in Disguise than she is in this. I like to think of it as like Sarah Connor in Terminator 1 versus Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have some of the same things, like, you know, her being really deferential to Optimus and things like that. But she's obviously like a much more confident character, um, a much more aggressive character, Um I, I did get a Sailor Moon transformation sequence, which I did not write, but when I saw it was there, I was like so happy because <laughs> I love Sailor Moon growing up. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! <laughs> so it's definitely saved on my iPad. Yeah, I, I remember your excited tweets so <laughs> when they first showed that. Oh my god, yeah, it was so great. It's a great way to explain all the extra jewelry, too. Like... <laughs> So no, it was it was really fun to write her, and it was kind of fun to have like a slightly different spin on her. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was great. So uh, so I don't know, maybe you you might not uh, have have been around for I don't know I don't know how much of the show you've watched, but I guess in the second season, uh, it was a lot more fo- like the human characters got got relegated a lot to the background in the second season with more bots being added to the show. I don't know if you were. Um, if you were involved in those decisions, not as involved with that. Okay. So I know, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Although that's always a natural, I will say that that's always a natural conflict when you have transformers with shows. Like as you, first of all, it's just hard to write more than seven characters mm-hmm. and give everyone screen time. Like any number beyond seven, someone's something's got to give. 
Okay. Um, yeah. Honestly, any number at seven or even, you know, something, something's got to give. So the more, more characters you add, like you just have to play the balancing game. Um, but also there's a natural, there's always a natural conflict with Transformers properties that include humans other than John's. Cause he has, you know, he can have the teen rating. Um, which is just the more you up the danger, the more you have to be concerned about including humans. You know, right. I remember writing on prime and it's like, everyone has to buckle up their seatbelt. So <laughs> right. you can't really have the Decepticons. Like you can't like break bulkheads windshield and like have real bullets flying through and have the kids duck. <laughs> <laughs> like that would not have been acceptable on a number of levels. <laughs> So, you know, it's just, that's, that's always kind of a natural trade-off. But Adam, I'm sure, could tell you much, much more than I do. Okay. So then, I, I don't know if you, um, if you uh, saw the, uh, I guess we had the, um, a little bit of a power struggle between Bumblebee and Optimus Prime as, you know, for leadership. That's, uh, that's something they explored there. Yeah, that was kind of a neat conflict. I remember, yeah, that was that was a neat. It's I liked that the show has allowed Bumble, but you know, they've stuck with the idea of Bumble being being a leader, you mm-hmm. know, even when that's not perfect. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, and then I guess uh, one thing we noticed uh at the very end um the we got a couple of characters from Transformers Prime coming back. So I remember like we the first interview we did with you uh, I guess it was a year and a half ago now. You talked about your thoughts for Soundwave since, uh, like after the show ended, Soundwave was stuck in limbo somewhere and, and never came back. And then they brought him back in, uh, in, Did they bring him back? in Robots in Disguise. Yeah. So, oh, sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit behind. So I did not know. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was, oh. <laughs> oh, then maybe I'm spoiling it for you, but it was, yeah, it was a really good episode. <laughs> oh, good. Good. <laughs> so. Okay. Oh my god! Oh yeah. Okay. So now, no, I just totally slipped you guys that Easter egg years in advance. <laughs> yeah. No, so, that's great. So I, def- yeah, check the, check that episode out. I, I forget the. I'll I'll send you the the episode information. But yeah. Um, and then later on, they uh, they also brought uh, brought Ratchet back. So uh, they, he was in I think the last two episodes of the show. Uh, which they they haven't. I guess they're supposed to be like another movie that end that that ends the series after the they had this this run of thirteen episodes. We haven't seen that yet, but uh, mm. that would make sense. Yeah, I just wonder if they'll bring back more and more of the Transformers Prime characters. But they uh, they did bring back some characters in the comic, the short lived comic. But that was more of a that was completely separate from the show. Mm, yeah. Well, you and I will both wander together. That's the other <laughs> weird thing too, is that um just animation takes so much longer, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's you know, it's like, oh, what were you guys thinking last year or like a couple of years ago? Like about that thing. And it's like, oh crud, what were you thinking a couple of years ago? <laughs> <laughs> but in a way it's kind of really nice because then you get to watch it and you're like, oh, that's great. Like I remember I was on Tumblr. And I saw like a gift set for rescue bots. And I was like, oh my God, that joke was hilarious. I really want to repost it. And then I was like, wait, I think that joke's mine. And then I was like, I don't want to say it's mine and then be wrong. So I'd like go back and look at the script. <laughs> be like, oh, okay, that is mine. <laughs> well, one thing we were a little curious about with the, with robots in disguise, at least it seemed like the show, uh, 
we were we were we we're scratching our heads the way the show premiered on Cartoon Network and that it got it got a pretty terrible time slot, like six thirty in the morning. And we were just wondering like I don't know if you have any info behind the scenes about what was going on between Hasbro and uh and Cartoon Network and uh and what I mean, I don't know if, if there was you know, it, it seemed it just didn't seem like it was a, as uh prime to be a, a success as a, as it's, as it could have been. And I was wondering if that, if that got back to the creative team on the show. Well, I mean, once it started airing in that time slot, we knew it was in that time slot. Okay. But <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. You, you writers are kind of the last to know about anything like that. Okay. And cause we're, we're so far in advance of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so like by the time, by the time the first episode airs, the first season is usually written or the first season is usually complete, like usually two thirds to completely written. Um, So you can't really um, like adjust anything at that point or, you know, um, it's really hard to like, if, if, if something happened where it's like, Oh, we've got to like steer the ship because fans really hated that. Well, it's like, well, they're going to have to hate it for the rest of the season because, you know, we've already got 14 episodes in the can or something like that. Um, so on, on, on the bright side, that's great. Cause you can, in comics, which are a much faster medium, you can sort of get in the trap of trying to sort of chase after the critiques mm-hmm. too hard. Um, so you're ins- you're a little more insulated from that, but yeah, we don't have any control over who airs the show or when they air it or, um, nor do executives normally feel the need to tell us why they chose to air it. Right. When they air it. <laughs> no one cares what we think. <laughs> we are the comic book nerds of television. <laughs> is there, from, from your perspective, is there any, uh, in terms of the production side for these shows, is there any difference between when the shows are made for a network versus when they're made for like a streaming service like Netflix? Or does that not really even affect the, the creative process? Well, most shows are made with the idea that even if they were shown on a network, that they will be streamed. Uh, okay. I think the only difference I've noticed at having worked on several different, you know, a bunch of different kinds of shows is that if the focus is more on being shown on a network, the shows tend to be a little bit more episodic. Okay. Um, if the shows tend to be thinking of themselves more as like, we're, we really want to live on streaming for a long time. You tend to see more like mini arcs where like each episode stands on its own, but maybe every five episodes will have like more of a theme or you'll get a little bit of a, a running thing because, you know, even kids tend to sort of binge watch when they're streaming. Yes. So, <laughs> Exactly, and I, and I think they, I'm, I, I believe I, I talked to someone in like program planning or something once, and they were like, they figured out like X is the number of shows that kids watch in any like the average child watches, you know, four episodes when they binge watch a cartoon before mom and dad turn it off or something like that, and so it's like okay, or like four to six. So there's some very specific numbers. Wow. Um, okay. But. I think most shows now are sort of conscious of both platforms and wanting to live, live happily on both platforms. So you're going to start, I think you're already starting to see the idea of, you know, each episode is self-contained story, but there is a sense of feeling like they're building towards something as opposed to like 
um, you know, like a really old, just a monster of the week show mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Like if you watched, I, I, and I, I really hope I'm remembering this correctly, but I thought, I think I remember like the first season of the original Ben 10 was like very monster of the week. And you really didn't have a sense of like a ton of building arc until like sort of right around the mid season finale. And then right around the end. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's also to each their own, like, uh, Avatar after season one, which was fairly episodic, just sort of locked into its story and was just a train shot, like yeah. just, just right to the end. So, so yeah, so there are a lot of factors that come, come into play in terms of, uh, in terms of that, but there's not a lot of technical things that, you know, like you could do this on streaming. You can't do this on streaming, um, from, from the writer's point of view. Okay. So, yeah, which is great because <laughs> we've already got enough limitations on us. <laughs> Standards and practices. Standards and practices depends on the format, you know. Um, yeah. That that it's it's standards and practices and the style of animation and making sure you're writing towards the animation. Right. Is you know because I mean a fight sequence that works in robots in disguise not necessarily going to work in rescue bots. Like, and it's always better to work with your, your type of animation than to fight against it. Right. So, yeah. And then you get in the weird thing of like 2D CG and all the, the really weird limitations like back in prime where we realized that Raph's backpack was literally part of his body. And so he could never take his backpack off or it would like cost <laughs> us a character design. <laughs> like, <laughs> That was bad planning. <laughs> there was like one pan. Yeah, there was like one episode where we're like, oh, and I'll take his backpack off. And they're like, no, that that you might as well introduce another a completely other character for what <laughs> it would cost us to take his backpack off. <laughs> OK, someone reaches into his backpack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I always joke. I always joke about that. Well, that that's but that's true with any CG thing. Anything that changes a character's mass, putting on a hat. You can't do changing the color of your clothes all day, but well, you know, unless you're like made by Lucasfilm and then you can just burn money. Um, <laughs> I used to watch the old Clone Wars episodes and like someone would show up in like a new outfit and I'm like, what? You didn't even need a reason to change. Like <laughs> you're just showing off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, all the boring, all the boring animation stuff. <laughs> Oh, that's that's important. That's something as as a as a viewer. That's something you don't even really think about. Like uh, you know how just those little changes are a completely new character model. That's not something you even really. Uh... Yeah, that's why. Uh, that was one of the reasons why Breakdown uh, got Silas stuck in his chest. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, we could get a whole new arc out of this character, and it wouldn't count as new characters. You right. know, and then that's why. Skyquake got a twin and <laughs> and Starscream got clones. Like that's you know, they all they all sort of factor into into decision making. They're not the primary reason behind decision making, but you know, especially because Dwayne was so great at like working with the animation. Um that yeah, it really does start to shape the type of story that you tell. You know, whereas Robots in Disguise is a much less kind of um small scale intimate storytelling like prime sort of came to be like prime became almost um 
I don't mean in a negative way, but like it, it started to feel like very like incestuous, you know, like by the third season, like everyone had these like really complicated, long-standing relationship back and forth because we just had so few characters, whereas Robots in Disguise, because it's a cheaper style of animation, you can get a lot more characters. You didn't necessarily have that feeling that like um, it felt like a much bigger world, but it felt like a world where not everyone knew everyone else and had like a super long history with them. Right. So. Okay. So uh, just coming to the to the end of the interview, uh, do you have any plans to attend any uh, any Transformers conventions this year? So uh, I guess the TFCon Toronto and Chicago, or, or there's also TF Nation in the UK. I don't know if you if you plan to get out there. No, no, it's pretty. Um, I'm going to be at San Diego. Okay. Uh, and that's going to be my last convention for the year. Um, my I'm expecting my first child uh, the week of. I think like the week before New York Comic Con, and I really thought about going, and my husband was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "I can do it." And he's like, "No." <laughs> it's like I know you think you can do this. Do not do this. <laughs> Which is probably for the best. Yeah. The last. I mean, you know, last thing I want to do is take like a newborn on a cross country flight and then hang out with them in a convention center. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Well, congratulations on your uh, on yeah. your new addition, and uh, all the best for that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super excited. I can put all the great trans like soft plushy transformers I have to use. <laughs> He's already got a Windblade doll that he'll have. So I'm very excited about that. You're raising them right. <laughs> it's soft. <laughs> I'm not like throwing action figures. In yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to wait a couple years for that. Yeah, I know. I'm just picturing like I just put a picture online of like him being crushed under Metroplex. Like. <laughs> with with our son, we took um, like weekly pictures up for the first year mm-hmm. of him next to um, my my wife has this like four foot tall Tigger, so we we did next to that and then next to my MP10 Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. So as he slowly nice. got bigger and bigger, that's really cute. That's. Maybe we'll do something that maybe might steal that idea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, hoping next year, maybe we'll get to more, some more conventions, but having to scale it back a little this year. Yeah. So especially because being at a convention pregnant is not fun. Although everyone is exceptionally nice to you. <laughs> they should be. Yeah. No, they're super nice to me. It was, everyone was very, Yoshi kept circling around at Emerald City. Like, do you need a sandwich? Do you need... <laughs> Can I get you like a protein bar? No, I'm good. Thank you. But yeah. He puts up a big front, but he's a softie. Yeah. He's he's a good guy. Unless he insists he's not. Then he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever helps your rep more, Yoshi. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's always really nice. And it's a great excuse to get out of parties, which is fantastic when you're a writer and you don't like people. Um <laughs> You're like, oh, I would be here longer, but I'm pregnant. Uh. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but then you, but you can't drink, and it's so sad. That's so sad. <laughs> so yeah. Oh well, the trade-offs. <laughs> but yes, but then uh, you know, but you stay home and you write your comics, and and they come out great. Hopefully, <laughs> we've been so getting far, a lot of positive response. Yeah, yes. So, good, so, okay. Good job. <laughs> So far, I'm so like, good. Don't sound grandiose. <laughs> <laughs> well, can can you tell us about some of the other projects you've been working on? So I actually uh, I did get Toil and Trouble 
Uh, and I read that series. That was, uh, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, I, I, I have to admit, I've stopped watching Ultimate Spider-Man, but I did hear that you've written some episodes for Ultimate Spider-Man. And, uh, what, what other things are you working on? I did work on some episodes of Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, I'm, I've been consulting on, um, season two of Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Uh, for Marvel. So I've been, most of my work is towards that and the ongoing, um, Doyle and Trouble. Actually, the trade is available for pre-order right now and will be out in September. Um, and the trade is fantastic. So if you didn't get a chance to get the issues, which are actually sold out in print form, several of them, um, so hold on to your issues, Charles, because they can be worth some money now. Um, if you didn't read it in singles, you can read it in trade. The trade is fantastic. It's it's by Archaea, so it's like it's all hardcover. It's super well designed. It's I'm really jazzed about it. Um, you can pre-order that on Amazon right now. Uh, I'm working on a graphic novel with First Second. Um, actually, working on a couple of graphic novels with them. So you'll hear more about that. But because they're a book publisher, like everything takes. Everything takes a really long time, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't expect to see those on the market until I think they're supposed to be like winter twenty seventeen or something. Okay, I'll keep you guys posted. Okay. So yeah, I know. Coming from comics, you're like, what? Like, <laughs> I'll be dead by then. <laughs> but <laughs> everything in book publishing takes a takes a really long time. But yeah. Um, so that's that's mostly that's that's what I got going. Um, you did you did some Power Rangers a little a little bit of Power Rangers work, didn't you? I did a tiny bit of Power Rangers work. Um, I I did the zero issue of I worked on the zero issue of the new Power Rangers series. Okay, um, which boom is continuing, but I I couldn't. Um, it was while we were still working on Toil and Trouble, and I just couldn't sort of jump like three series is, is kind of my limit. So, um, <laughs> right. so I just couldn't go on with that. Um, but it was really fun and it's super fun to write power Rangers Cause they're just, they're so unabashedly like balls to the wall. Awesome. You know, <laughs> this is awesome. Let's do this. Yeah. I've got like a big power ranger poster behind me. So, um, but I, I, I've kept reading the series and I think they're taking it some really interesting places. And, uh, Corin Howells also, or Corinne Howells also working on, uh, some, some of that series too. So. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah, she's doing some Vulcan uh, skull back, like they have like backstories and stuff. Oh so, wow! Okay, that looks really neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Power Rangers was I was I was a, I was an '80s kid, so Power Rangers was the ni- the the '90s thing that I you know <laughs> turned my nose up at. But uh, you know, it's uh, I have to admit I did watch it. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a breaking point. Well, that was sort of my my thing with Power Rangers. Was, it was the show. It was one of the shows that I really grew up with, and so I really wanted to make it as awesome as as you remember it being. You know, right? Um, instead of trying to reinvent it or trying to uh, justify it or, or making it how it actually was, which was a little, you know, if there's one thing kids don't remember, it's production values. <laughs> <laughs> No one remembers back in G1 that one scene where Bumblebee is with the Autobots while they're trying to figure out how to rescue Bumblebee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just move on. <laughs> so that was something that I, I think we we succeeded at, and I think that they're they're still doing a really good job with. Cool. Yeah. 
it is cool. Things are really cool. I'm really <laughs> excited. Swindle may or may not live. Constructicons are going off the deep end. Who is DC357? Who knows? Got lots of great things going on. Well, I, I hope you know. We don't know, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I do know. I do know, yes. <laughs> Let it now, now that the rumor is going to be starting. Mary Group Scott doesn't have any idea who this <laughs> Yes, I know. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Well, uh, th- thank you again for uh, for coming on the show and and uh, letting us pick your brain for a little while and, and talk about all your projects. And we we wish you uh, great success until all are one. Uh, we're we're looking forward to seeing how that book develops. Thanks, thanks for having me on, and and thanks to everyone at IDW who worked with me on until all are one because so far so good. And uh, so online, if people want to want to get a hold of you, or or if you want to point people to where they can see what you're doing next, uh, where where can people find you? Yeah, people can find me at at Marigrid Scott on Twitter, uh, which is M A I R G H R E A D um, Scott with two T's, and uh, at M Scott Writes on Tumblr and M which is my website. Cool. And, and yeah, feel free to drop a question or if, if you have any, um, nothing is too silly. I may or may not answer. It may or may not have anything to do with your question though. Cause I'm just, <laughs> I try to be good at social media, but it's an ongoing skill. <laughs> well, also, uh, everyone who's listening and interested in Talaller One, I can definitely recommend our custom cover for issue number one. That's, uh, still available uh, at our partner website at primetoys.net. So check that out. We'll link uh, that in the show notes. We'll link to Marigrid's uh, website and her Twitter in the show notes. And I know I, it's taken me a while to practice a spelling. I think I, I can, I can get it right every time now, uh, but I know it's difficult. So we'll definitely have a link so people can find that. Great. Thank you. Yes. It's, I have never, uh, I'm never bothered by it. And now there's sort of a joke because between me and Sarah and Priscilla, we have like the most unpronounceable <laughs> creative team names. It's like, who's making Till All Are One? Some ladies and Tom <laughs> Belong. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks again, Margaret, for joining us. And I think we'll, uh, we'll end the show right here and. Thanks, everyone, for listening and hope you're enjoying uh, Till All Are One and also pick up all the other great Transformers comics uh, that are coming out every month. We really enjoy them. And uh, we'll see you next time on Transmissions. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later. Thanks for picking up our Transmissions. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com. There you can find all of our contact information on social media, as well as all of the links to our show notes discussed on each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.